All right, you found your place in 1 Kings chapter number 18. I'm going to get there in a little bit. You can find your way there, and I'll meet up with you here after just, just a moment. But then if we have just a little bit more on this, I feel like I'm having to scream a little bit. And uh, all right. You know, as I kind of look around and I kind of watch what the Lord does in our own lives personally, and I watch what God is doing even in our own church, it's pretty obvious, and we're very thankful um, that uh, to watch the Lord work and to watch uh, things happen and watch lives change and watch people uh, change and, and, and get things done in their life. And it's just, it's encouraging. It is, it, it is a joy to watch God work in a church as He's working in individual lives. But I, be, I become very aware, though, also, that when God is working, I'm, I'm aware of how quickly Satan uh, attempts to disrupt what God is doing. Have you ever noticed that in your life? You ever noticed when you had a great victory, you had a, a great thing that you've done in your life, and it's like tomorrow, Satan is, uh, you open the front door and there he is. And he's just looking at you. <laughs> you know, he does not like it, does he? And it seems like it, it just as things are going well, he ends up showing up at the worst time possible. And I'm reminded of Second Corinthians when Paul wrote to them in chapter 2 and he said, it's the end of a, of a phrase where he said, lest Satan get an advantage over us. And he says this, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. He's been using the same devices, folks, for 6,000 years. They haven't really changed. Okay, the thing, the problem is we just a uh, new a new batch of humans come on the planet, get saved, and they're not aware of Satan's devices. And we need to be always constantly aware of how Satan works, and we should never be ignorant of what Satan does and and how he employs his devices. and And one of his goals for us, one of his goals that Satan has for us, is is not to. Um, not, not to, of course, lose our salvation. That is never going to happen. But his goal for us is to just quit and run away from the work that God has for us. You say, well, I'm just, I'm just a layman in the church. Uh, just strike that from your vocabulary. You have a work and you have a responsibility that God has given you, whether you are a, quote, layman in the, in the church or a retired pastor or a missionary or whatever, or, or you're one of those that is... Uh, that is just, you think you're just here? No, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and God has a plan for you. And Satan's desire for you is to quit and run away from that plan. And so one of the evidences and one of the byproducts of Satan's working in the lives of Christians, it becomes, it becomes, we see it this way. It's in, it's in the way of depression and it's in the way of discouragement. Depression and discouragement. Can I tell you this morning for the child of God, there's nothing for us to be depressed about. And there's nothing for us to be discouraged about. But we are still living in this flesh and we face dis discouragement and depression, don't we? And I'm going to look at this this morning. And, and when Satan's attacks produce discouragement in our life, and, they are, and we allow them to grow and to fester and take a root in our life, it ends up robbing us of our peace. It robs us of our joy. It robs us of contentment. It robs us of thankfulness. It robs us of our worship. 
and we get we become just introspective and we become self totally consumed upon self and and that's that's not what God ever intended us how he ever intended us to to live and so this morning I want to look at what the word of God says about discouragement and what our battle plan should look like when it arises. You ever woke up one morning and just having a great morning in the Lord and about 10 o'clock it's just like, ugh, where'd that go? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Satan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. And we need to be aware of when that happens and what's going on. You say, well, you don't understand. I got bad news. I got this. I got that. I got this. Yes, but we can still live and joy and contentment and peace and thankfulness and worship in spite of the circumstances that we're living in. And that's available for us. So here you are. You're in 1 Kings chapter 18, right? If you found your way there, 1 Kings chapter 18. And I think we have a wonderful uh, picture of depression, of discouragement, as well as the remedy that God has for this in our life. So let me give you a little background real quickly. Most of you in here are students of the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to try to race through this. You understand what's going on here. But Ahab and Jezebel are running Israel right now. And I, I, and I said Jahab and Ahab and Jezebel. Really Jezebel is more in charge than Ahab is. And back in chapter 17, uh, God had told Elijah that there wasn't going to be any rain for three years. He said, no rain, no dew, there is nothing coming. I think it was a great illustration of the spiritual condition of not only Ahab, but the spiritual condition of Israel. And in about the third year of this drought, God came back to Elijah and he said, go find Ahab and, and, and go, and I want you to go talk to him and, and of course, Elijah was a little leery of this. He goes and finds Obadiah. Uh, I believe it was Obadiah. Obadiah was really leery of this. He said, you want me to get killed? And he said, just go find him. And so he finds him. And Ahab and Elijah have a meeting. And in chapter 17, you see here in verse, or I'm sorry, chapter 18 and verse 17, look what he says here. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he? That troubleth Israel. And you notice here, it seems like they had a little bit of a history together. They've no, they do know one another. And Ahab says, aren't you the one causing this drought? Aren't you the one troubling Israel? And Elijah says, no, bucko, it's you. You're the problem. You're the one that is bringing this upon Israel. Why? Because you've forsaken the commandments of God and you have followed Balaam. So Elijah was telling Ahab, the drought is your fault. Okay. And so Elijah is going to come up with a little plan. We love this story. You've heard it in this event. I shouldn't call it a story, really. It's, these are actual events that happened. And in verses 19 through 21, we see the development of Elijah's plan. And he tells Elijah, Elijah tells Ahab to go and get of Israel, uh, go gather some, those of Israel, go gather those of the prophets of Baal, and go gather those of the prophets of the groves. These were, these were Jezebel's, his wife's, these were Jezebel's prophets. And we, Brother Jim just read this for us. You, can, you remember this. So Ahab comes back and he has the, those of Israel. He has the prophets of Baal. He has the prophets of Jezebel. And in verse 21, Elijah tells him his plan. And he says, he came to all the people, verse 21, and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. 
So Elijah gave them an ultimatum. And we see this ultimatum really throughout the word of God. Joshua gave it to Israel. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I love how he said that. And we'll get this to this in the book of Joshua one of these days here soon. But I love what he meant by what he was saying also by that was, whether you follow God or not, my following God is not dependent upon you following God. I'm going to follow him whether you do or not. And this should be the motto of our life. Listen, you shouldn't be following God because your mother does or because your father does or because your friend does or because your, or your kids do or anything else. You should be following God because you are following God and He's real in your life and you, you are living a life in obedience to Him whether anybody else does or not. His, I mean, uh, is your relationship to God that real or is it that, or is it that shallow that the, the, the life of somebody else's rejection causes you to get off, off track as well? It shouldn't do that. And here's what Elijah is saying. saying, you're going to have to make a decision. Today, you will make a decision. And we see that theme throughout the Word of God. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Harden not your hearts, God says. You're going to pick today. You're going to make a choice. And Elijah brought them all up there. After three years of this garbage going on, he says, you're going to make a choice today. You're going to either serve God or Balaam. And I'm going to help you on this because the one who answers by fire is the one who you should be following. Yeah, he gave them evidence. And so, in verses 23 through 25, Elijah laid out the plan for him. In verse 23, look at this. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves. Cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under And I'll dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. Under. And call you on the name of your gods, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. Jehovah there, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Do you, do, you see, do you see a little foreshadowing of the faith of Elijah? You see this? He said, uh, I'll uh, uh, call on the name of your gods, lowercase g, to these prophets of Baal. And he said, look at this, and the God, uppercase g, that answereth by fire, Elijah knew who, knew who was going to answer. Is the Elohim of, of Israel. It was Jehovah Elohim. It was not the Elohim of Baal and, and the prophets of, of, of Jezebel. Elijah knew who was going to answer, obviously. And he says, the one who answers by fire, he is going to be God and you can, you can worship him. And so, we, we know what happens here. These prophets of Baal, they get on there, they build their altar up, they get on there, they begin crying out to their God, they begin asking their God to, to, to consume this, this, uh, altar, this, this, uh, what's this thing called? This, the sacrifice they put on the altar. They're, they're praying to God and Elijah begins to mock them and say, well, my, may, cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. Cry louder. Maybe he's just busy doing something or, or maybe he's tending to something else and he can't hear you. Just scream a little louder. And they, they yell a little louder and scream a little louder. They get to the point where they're cutting themselves. The Bible says the blood is gushing out. It's running down on them. It's running all over the altar. And I'm, what a great illustration how it, it's, 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 there's only one blood that God notices. <laughs> they could have bled all over the place and it wouldn't have been enough. 
They did bleed all over the place and it wasn't enough. God wasn't responding to them. And they came to the time of the noonday sacrifice and they're still crying out to God. They come to finally the time of the evening sacrifice and Elijah said, all right, you've had enough time. You realize, you look at this, they started in the morning, went to the time of the evening sacrifice. I don't know, what did they have? Maybe eight hours in this thing? Maybe nine hours? I don't know. Quite, they, they were there a long time. They had a long time to try to get the attention of their God. But the only burning of, of that lump of meat that they put on their, that, that altar, the only burning that that, got, that, that meat got was, was from sitting out in the sun all day. That was all it got. It sat there and did nothing. But we know here in verses 31 through 35, now it's Elijah's turn. You know what happens, don't you? This is exciting. He gets 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel, stacks them up. It's the altar of the Lord. The Bible calls it, puts the wood on top. He puts the sacrifice on top, digs a trench around it. He's digging. The Bible says he goes and he gets four pots of water and they dump these four pots of water over the, uh, over the sacrifice. And he says, do it again. And they do it again. Do it a third time. They do it a third time. 12 pots of water. What, a pot for every tribe, I guess. Twelve pots of water. They pour over the sacrifice. There's so much water that... in a, in, I know what you're thinking. Where'd they get water in a time of drought? No, you're, um, there's, there's a creek. There's Brook Kidron. It was still running. They still had, they still had a little bit of water. But it, it, it filled up in that trench around, around that, uh, that, around that uh, sacrifice. And if you notice here, I love this. In Elijah's, Elijah's prayer here, at the, at, in verses... Uh, let me see. Let me find it here again in verse uh, 30... 5, look at verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, this is all he says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and I have done all these things at thy word. He's saying, show them that you are God and show them that I have authority from you. I am called by you and I'm doing exactly what you've told me to do. And look at verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, look what they said. They fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You think? I mean, you don't have much blood left in your body. You're about wore out. You've been jumping around all day, screaming to this God that doesn't exist. Eight hours of crying out to Baal. And it took Elijah about eight seconds and the fire of God fell and took everything up. And they're saying, whoa, <laughs> yeah, he's God. He's God. Can I remind you something? They're in a time of drought. This wasn't just a lightning storm that showed up. This wasn't just the clouds are rolling. Clouds are going to roll in in a little bit here, but it wasn't right now. I think it was as clear as clear could be. And it was without a doubt, it was the fire from God that came down and consumed everything. And the only thing that these prophets of Baal, they've given their whole life to, to the worship of Baal. And they came away from there and said, no, Jehovah, he's God. This is God. And so Elijah tells them to gather up the prophets of Baal. They trot them down to the, to, to the brook Kishon there and they proceed to expedite them to eternity, all 850 of them. Expedite to eternity. Yeah, he cut their heads off. Yeah. What a day of victory, huh? 
Wouldn't it be great to see that? I, you know what I'm hoping in heaven? That God has a, a, a big screen TV only to play all of these events that we read about in the Bible. Wouldn't that be awesome? I want to watch this. I want to watch David hack Goliath's head off. I mean, there might be, there might be viewer discretion advised on some of them. I get that. It's okay. You know, we'll be okay. But I, I mean, I would love to see this. I would love to watch this. I would like to see the look on all of these faces when the, when the happens and they're going, you know, and oh man, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Victorious, wasn't it? You ever, ever, hey, have you ever had, you ever had days in your life? When it was almost like this. Oh no, I mean, you know, the fire of God didn't fall on your house or anything. You might have hoped it did, but it didn't. That's called something else when you, with insurance companies and things. But that wasn't it. That wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. You ever had victory in your life? I mean, God came through and it was no doubt it was God. Nothing else could have caused this to happen. You cried out to God and man, He showed up. It was a great day, wasn't it? But there are some unintended consequences to this great event that went on in Mount Carmel. Remember, this is the Mount of God. This is where, this is where God, uh, well, coming up, not on Carmel. We're going to get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Strike that from the record. Okay. There's going to be some unintended consequences that happen here at Carmel. I'm Horeb's coming up next. Can, I want you to listen to this real closely. Standing at the other side of every great victory is Satan. Standing at the other side of every great victory is Satan. And so Elijah goes back up to the mountain and he's going to be looking for the... He says there's a sound of abundance of rain. The thunder was rolling. The rain was coming in and the drought was going to be over. And he tells in verse 45, he tells Ahab to go home. And he goes back to Jezreel. And now when Ahab gets back to Jezreel, I think Ahab was pretty excited about this. You do realize there was a time in Ahab's life when repentance came into his life and God, God had mercy on him. He said, I'll, I'll visit him in your children's age and not your age. Ahab knew, knew the oracles of God. Ahab knew the law. Ahab, I believe, fell under conviction from God in the way he was living. I think his, his soul vexed him. So he goes home to this Jezebel. Which is also her name, Jezebel. <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, if you can imagine this in your head, but I'm thinking he gets home and maybe, maybe she says, how was your day? Oh, it was pretty cool. Sort of, yeah. It, it, was, it was great, it was great. What'd you do today? Well, Elijah got a hold of me. Really? Yeah, Elijah. Yeah. What'd you do? Well, he, well, he, had, he had us come up to Carmel. Really? Yeah. What'd you do? Well, uh, he told me to get, you know, the 450 prophets of Baal. Really, yeah. yeah. And 450 prophets of the groves. Uh, Those are mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I brought yours too. It's really cool. And I brought brought the people, the children of Israel. I brought a bunch bunch of the people of Israel up also. And uh, we we just went up to Mount Carmel. Well, what did you do there? Well, it was really cool because Elijah wanted us to make a decision whether we're going to serve Baal or God. It was, it was a really neat plan. I mean, this, 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 um, this illustration that he did, it was awesome illustration. It was really powerful illustration. It really was. And he had us build an altar and, and you know, your, your prophets and these parties. You know, and, and they just cried out for like eight hours trying to, 
trying to get Baal to answer them to burn up this sacrifice. Jezebel goes, huh. Well, what happened after that? Well, this really really gets cool. Because, because Elijah did the same thing. And in like eight seconds, I mean, this boom, everything was gone. And, and everything was just wiped clean. There wasn't dust left. There wasn't water left. There wasn't rocks left. There wasn't a, a sacrifice left. It was so cool. You should have seen it. It was awesome. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was so cool that the prophets of Baal... Well, well, they kind of said that Jehovah was God. Uh, And yours did too. (laughs) Yeah. Really? Yeah, they made a decision that day and they they proclaimed that Jehovah was Elohim. Jehovah is God. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, are you what? I mean, that's exciting. The Bible's exciting. So Jezebel goes, well, what happened next? Um... Well, you see, we all went down to the creek. <laughs> we went down to the creek and, uh, well, yeah, you don't have any prophets anymore. <laughs> then she probably got the Satan voice. What do you mean? You know, she was like, <sighs> what do you mean? Well, well, this weirdest thing in the world. You should... It was. I'm glad you weren't there. It was really strange. I, I still try to figure this thing out. Uh, <laughs> well, their heads are like they got their heads cut off. Well, how did that happen? Um, Elijah. Yeah, Elijah. Elijah. Elijah cut their heads off. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, all of them. So the prophets of Baal, the prophets, my prophets, they're all gone. 850 are headless by that creek you talked about? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep, they are. You think he was nervous? Yeah. See, see what Jezebel does? She says, look at verse nine, chapter 19 and verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She sent a message to Elijah saying, You are a dead man. You're dead. Well, there goes the great victory, huh? Yeah. And so in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 19, what does Elijah do? You know what he does? He runs away. He's afraid. He's scared. And he runs away. And you see this in verses 3 and 4. He rises up. When he saw it, he rose up went for his life. For his life came to Beersheba, which belongeth unto Judah. And he left his servant there. And he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. Roloff said he had a pity party in juniper jungle. Yeah. And he wanted to die. So in a matter of a day or so, Elijah has gone from the miraculous display of God's power to running from a woman. Yeah. And he, you know, listen, the rain, think, even while the rain is falling and, and the fulfillment of prophecy, Elijah is watching the power of God and fear is gripping his life. Can I tell you something this morning? Discouragement and, 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 and despair 
has settled into Elijah's life after a great victory. And now he's running, watch, he's running from a problem and he just wishes to die. He doesn't even want to deal with it. He'd rather just die. And then he goes on to say here that he's no better than his father's. That's interesting, isn't it? Look, at he said, he said in verse uh, 4, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my fathers. You know, we don't really have much record of Elijah's uh, family. All we know that he is a Tishbite. These were of the tribe of, of Naphtali, and we know the tribe of Naphtali, yeah, they had a blessing, but they, they had many ups and downs, and eventually their land was overrun by Canaanites and paganism. So watch this. Elijah is concluding, I am a prophet of God, but I am no better than those who came before me. You might have thought about this. Maybe people think about this in their own life. They come to Christ. They're the only ones in their family that ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are from a long lineage that has nothing to do with God. They're a long, they have a long lineage before them of just, of just, of just reprobates and God haters and things like that. And uh, they get saved and they're walking with God. And one day they, they, they started out and there's a great victory one day. And it turned out to what maybe looked like failure. And this person may look back and at this, in this great time of failure. And they say, well, I guess I really am no different than the rest of my family. I, I, I guess I am just a product of my lineage. No, this is where Elijah is. I'm no better than my father's. What's the point of going on? And this is where this great prophet Elijah has come to. And the evident, the, the statements in his life, these statements that he makes are evidence of discouragement and disappointment. Yeah, they're evidences of this, of despair. He's running from a problem that's fear. He's running from a problem. He wishes to die. He's discouraged. He, he has a hopeless future. I'm no better than my father. There's nothing out here for me to get to after this. He's completely deplete, de- defeated. And then you see a self-loathing. A self-loathing. I don't mean to be ugly this morning, but self-loathing is pride. It is just as much pride as the one who says, I'm wonderful, I'm great, I'm the best, I'm this. It's just as much pride as the one saying, I'm nothing, I can't do anything, I'm no good, I'm just this, I'm just that. It's pride. While Elijah is sitting under this juniper tree, he's completely defeated, he wishes to die, and he goes and he falls asleep. Another great sign of depression. He wants to sleep. So verses 5 and 7, God is going to intervene here. And an angel wakes him up. He feeds him a couple times. He's got a long trip ahead of him. And he's told here to go to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the one, not Carmel. I've got all confused. This is the one. Horeb is the one. I almost said Carmel. I almost said Hormel. But no, that's another company. That's not right. Horeb. Horeb. It's where God gave the Ten Commandments. To Moses on Mount Sinai, the mountains of Horeb. And Elijah takes a 200 mile journey from Beersheba to Horeb. And Elijah goes up into a cave. And as he goes up there into that cave, God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, my first response would be, I thought you wanted me here, you know? But he's not asking us physically why he's here. He's like, why 
do you have to be here? Why am I bringing you here? And notice what Elijah says. Verse 7, I'm sorry. Verse 10. He says, and he came, uh, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, and thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So this is what, this is what Elijah says here. He's jealous for, the, he wants the will of God in his life, he wants the will of God for Israel, he's jealous for God, and he goes, I'm, now I'm, the, I'm just the only one left doing this. There's nobody else out there who has, has my heart for you like I have. I'm the only one left, and now they want me dead. Yeah. He's just completely discouraged, isn't he? He says, everybody's doing wrong. I'm the only one doing right. And now I'm going to die because I'm doing right. He was afraid of Jezebel. Yeah. So God tells him to get to the top of the mountain. And it's while he was at the top of that mountain, the Bible says that three things happened. You know this. A strong wind came across. It rent the mountain. It broke rocks. It's a pretty strong wind. An earthquake came by. And then fire came by. I've looked at this before. It's a whole other message here. It's a wonderful message. But at each one of those events that happened with Elijah on this, on this mountain, the Bible said... But the Lord was not in the wind. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then it says at the end of verse 12, And after the fire, a still, small voice. You see, God's answer to Elijah was not in circumstances. God's answer to Elijah was not in the miraculous. God's answer to Elijah is in what he said. God's answer to Elijah was his word. His word. Yeah. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Because so many times people get confused looking for the will of God in circumstances rather than in His Word. You know what the circumstances are in your life? They are God getting you to stop so you'll listen to what He's trying to say. What is the characteristic of a voice? It is heard but it is not seen. It is heard. That's, why, that's, what, that's what John the Baptist said. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What was he saying? He was totally removing himself from the equation. And he was just saying, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. Of, I'm just, I, am, I am not to be looked at. I'm to be listened to. And this is what God's telling Elijah here. What God said was... The answer. Now I want you to notice something. <clears throat> Elijah once again in verse 14 is going to again say, I've been very jealous for you. I'm the only one left. 
and now everybody wants to kill me, and I'm going to be condemned and, and to die because I'm serving you. But God is going to answer Elijah's depression. He's going to answer Elijah's discouragement. He's going to answer his fear. And notice how he answers him. Look at verse 15, would you please? And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be son of Nimshi. I'm sorry, the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of uh, Ebel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And oh, by the way, Elijah, yet have I left my, me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So do you see God's answer to Elijah? Do you see God's answer to the discouragement? Go back and anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Go back and anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. Uh, go back and anoint Elisha to, to be prophet in your place because you're going to be leaving soon. And oh, by the way, 7,000 haven't bowed their knee to Baal, Elijah. You are not the only one left. Yeah. We get thinking that way, don't we? Well, nobody serves God but me. God says, not true. Not true. And this is, God's, this is God's answer for discouragement? This is it? Anoint kings? Anoint your replacement? Remember you're not alone? That's, that's God's answer? Yeah, it is. That's it. What was God, what was God saying to Elijah? Uh, you're a prophet, Elijah. Get up and go back and start doing what I've told you to do. What, what happened when discouragement came in Elijah's life? He stopped doing what he was supposed to do and ran away. And God's answer to Elijah was, go back to where you were and just start doing again what I had told you to do. Yeah. What was he saying? He's saying, I'm not done with you, Elijah. You still have work to do. Watch this. If he is not done with Elijah, that means nobody, nobody can end his ministry before God's done with him. Did you catch that? That goes for you and me as well. We get into places of discouragement, disappointment. Can I tell you something? There is nobody on this planet that can take us off of this planet until God is done with us. Pretty encouraging, isn't it? Jezebel, listen, Jezebel, as powerful as she was, she had no authority over Elijah's life. None whatsoever. But can I show you this as well? Jezebel wasn't the real problem. Just as Satan used the serpent in the garden to discuss some things with Eve, Satan is really good at using people as a weapon of his war. Yeah. No, sometimes there's people in your life that they can seem that they're the problem. And sometimes you need to back away and just say, no, this is Satan using this person. You, listen, you got to get to the who the enemy really is. 
or you're going to be fighting the wrong battles and you're going to be losing. They might seem like they're the real problem, but they're just a tool of Satan. This is all Jezebel was. She was a tool. She was a wicked tool, easy to be used by Satan. She was so evil. It was a great, easy, easy one to use there. But she was just a tool. And God's answer to Elijah and the discouragement and the disappointment was stop running, go back to where you ran from, and just pick up doing what I told you to do. Well, that's not very psychological. No. Well, that doesn't follow, you know, what the, 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 the counselors say. No, probably doesn't. Well, that, that doesn't really make me feel all that better. Yeah, maybe not. But it worked. I think God knows better than what some Freudian psychologist knows, don't you? So let me ask you this morning, are you discouraged? Feel alone? <clears throat> that's what discouragement does. We get so self, when we get discouraged and depressed, that's why, that's why depression is sin. Yeah. We get so self-centered. We get, we get so focused on us that we get to this place thinking, oh, it's just, you know, I, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one fighting this. I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one with these questions. I'm the only one with these doubts. No, you're not. No, you're not. So you might be discouraged this morning. You might feel like you're completely alone in your life this morning. You, fear may, as a, may have absolutely gripped your soul and you just live in constant fear and you're just running, running, running from something that you think is going to destroy you. And what has ended up happening, whether you realize it or not, your thoughts have just... It's all about you. It's all about you. Can I tell you, God knows where you are this morning. And He has a remedy. And the remedy that he gave Elijah is the remedy that he has for us. Know where the attack's coming from. Trust God to take care of the problem. Remember, Satan has no authority over you. Get your eyes off yourself and uh, just do what he told you to do. You know what you'll watch? You'll watch the despair, you'll watch the discouragement, you'll watch the depression, you'll watch it go away. No, you'll notice you're walking in joy again. You're walking in peace again. Yeah. Just do what he said. Do? Yeah, do. Do what? I, go to church. That's a good one, isn't it? Go to church. <clears throat> Sunday morning, Sunday night. I think we had what, 12 in Sunday school? That's wrong, man. That is wrong. That is a service of this church. You ought to be here. Yeah. Go to church. Keep tithing. Giving to missions. Giving to special offerings. Keep giving. Keep witnessing. Keep preaching the gospel. Uh, teach, keep teaching those that are going to come after you that need to be taught in the Word of God. Preach the gospel. What, 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 what am I saying? Just get out and do what God has told us to do. And you know what you'll find out? <clears throat> When you get your eyes off yourself, the discouragement goes, the depression goes away. Yeah. I wrote this down. I don't know if it's worth writing down again or not, but 
I wrote, discouragement comes when Satan tells you God has removed himself from your future. Discouragement comes when Satan tells you God has removed himself from your future. And joy returns when God reminds you that he is in control and your future still has a work to be accomplished. You know, every, you look in the Word of God and every saint in the Word of God had a, had a job to do until the day of their death. And until, the, until you are dead, until you are gone, you have something that God wants you to do. I don't know if you preachers know this, but you go through discouragement, don't you? You ever been there? <laughs> up and down, up and down, up and down. You know what I realized a long time ago, and God reminds me over and over and over again? If we just get our eyes off of self. Yeah. You know, even yesterday I woke up and ah, just kind of a crazy day. A lot of stuff going on. By the end of by the end of visitation, joy was back. Yeah, why? Because you forget about yourself. You just pour your life into somebody else, and you know what? God God takes care of any type of discouragement that's going on in your life. Yeah, just do what He's told you to do. Do what He's told you to do. Did you hear me? Do what He's told you to do. Why don't we stand this morning? Father, I hope and pray, Lord, that it was clear that your Holy Spirit would just, uh, Lord, take what has been preached here in this text and, Lord, that you would encourage those who need encouraged those that are struggling, those that feel alone, those that think uh, or they're the only ones going through what they're going through. Lord, would you help us just to get back into the fight and get back to doing what you've told us to do. Get our eyes off of ourselves. Trust you that you know exactly where we are and you know exactly uh, what you're going to accomplish in our life. That we trust you in that and just do, just do what you'd have us to do. Father, would you work in this time of invitation, however you're speaking, however you're working, that your people would respond. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.